You're listening to The Diplomats Podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host from New York City, Ankit Panda. And today I'm joined by a guest uh, who's uh, been on the podcast a few times with me before. Joining me today is Katie Putz, our managing editor at The Diplomat and resident Central Asia expert. How's it going, Katie? Doing great. Always great to have you on to talk Central Asia. I know we don't get to that part of our region of coverage, but this time we have really big news to talk about. Um, It's actually news from last week concerning yet again another leadership transition, um, at least, you know, a major break with the former Soviet era um, in uh, in the region. So last Tuesday, Kazakh president or former president now, Nursultan Nazarbayev, resigned from his office as president um, in a rather a surprising speech. I think uh, everybody watching the region, uh, you can correct me if this wasn't true, but most people were pretty taken aback when he announced that he would be stepping down. Um, and what we have on our hands now looks like a an attempt by Nazarbayev to manage basically the transition to a new era of leadership in Kazakhstan. Uh, and there's a lot to talk about, Katie. I mean, uh, we've seen a, a an interim successor appointed, um, Kasim Jomar Tokayev, who's the former Speaker of the Senate, if I'm not mistaken, was sworn in as the interim president. Mm-hmm. And he'll fill out the entirety, uh, the remainder of Nazarbayev's presidential term. But, but tell us a bit about uh, your reaction when you heard that Nazarbayev had resigned. Because, you know, uh, you had a lot of really good instant analysis on Twitter that I relied on to understand what was going on. But, but what went through your mind as somebody that watches this part of the world quite closely when, when you heard the news that Nazarbayev had, had stepped down? I mean, so I woke up last Tuesday morning and Nazarbayev was president. Uh, a couple hours later, I saw on Twitter that he had resigned. Um, he had apparently made an una- an unannounced uh, televised address. So very quickly organized, said, I'm going to give this televised address and essentially told the Kazakh nation that he was resigning the presidency. Um, he had a-, a lot to say about how far Kazakhstan had come. And he also kind of slipped into his speech that he wasn't really going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in terms of my immediate reaction, it was sort of, immediately surprised because nobody had any any notice that this was going to happen on a random Tuesday in March. Um, and then as I started sort of thinking about it, it, it started to make sense. Uh, there had been some previous uh, moves. He had asked the Constitutional Chamber, like, what would happen if I resigned uh, in February? So yeah. that was kind of a little bit of a flag. Um, and, and over the past couple of years, there have been a number of policies and sort of titles he's been given um, by the state that essentially uh, insulate from any problems it was no longer president. So I think in times in a lot of centrist, something like this was in the cards, but no, no, I, I would be shocked if anybody said that they had predicted this before. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think Nazarbayev was uh, paying attention to what happened in Uzbekistan when Islam Karimov died, and he hadn't set up a particular structure. And, and I think Nazarbayev wanted to protect what he had um, built in Kazakhstan. And so a managed transition, I think a lot of analysts uh, and, and sort of regional watchers would have sort of suggested that some kind of managed transition was going to happen. Um, Nazarbayev certainly had the space and the ability to set something like this up. Um, but the matter of when was, was definitely a shock to me. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, in the span of two days, we went from having Nur Sultan Nazarbayev as the president of Kazakhstan with the capital of Astana, and now we don't have Nazarbayev as president of Kazakhstan and the capital is no longer named Astana. 
Um, so it was, it was a lot of changes very quickly, I would say, but also not a lot of changes in things that matter, but we can talk more about that. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's the classic, um, how does an authoritarian who wishes he could live forever, but won't live forever, manage, manage the end of his rule. And I think Nazarbayev decided that, as you said, he wasn't going to go down Karimov's route, although that didn't end too poorly for Uzbekistan, but maybe he wants to lock in, you know, benefits for his family. And of course, you know, one of the things that you pointed out immediately and a few other observers was that this really modeled kind of the Lee Kuan Yew um, experience in Singapore, right? He, yeah, he steps yeah. back and he becomes minister mentor where he's still, you know, pulling pulling the curtains from behind the string. He's still the Wizard of Oz in Kazakhstan, but mm -hmm. he's no longer, you know, the capital P president that he had been um, since the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union. So, so tell us a bit about, you know, the formalities or, or kind of how you see Nazarbayev's role persisting from now until really his death uh, in Kazakhstan. He's no longer the president, but it is, but is he still effectively the most powerful person in the country? Yes, uh, undoubtedly. So, um, and, and Nazarbayev actually said some of these things in his resignation speech, but um, he retains a good amount of position and power, uh, even as not president. Uh, paramount among that, um, I think it was in 2010 when he was officially given the title leader of the nation. Um, and with that comes immunity from prosecution, criminal or, or uh, civil, for him and his family. Um, so that's a pretty that's a pretty big uh, trump card to have in your pocket. He also said that he was going to remain the head of the Nur OTAN party, which is his political party. Um, Kazakhstan is almost a one-party state. Uh, the the lower house of parliament has uh, 107 seats, and 84 of those are held by Nur OTAN. Um, so they they hold you know the the most power in the legislative branch, even though it's largely a rubber stamp body or has acted in that function. So he's going to retain that that political powder power over over his political party. And then in addition, I think in it was last, I don't remember exactly when he became the head of the Security Council, but he's going to be the head of the Security Council for life. And last summer, the Security Council's um, status within the country sort of transitioned from a consultative body towards a constitutional one. So it actually has a little bit more power. How that will be exercised, we don't quite know um, right now um, because it hasn't it hasn't happened. Um, there's no precedent for this. So uh, Nazarbayev certainly retains an awful lot of power um, on the the government uh, the governing side. Uh, as you said, Tokayev is now interim president. Uh, he's expected to finish out Nazarbayev's term. Um, there's supposed to be elections in uh, April 2020. Um, big caveat on that. Almost every other presidential election in Kazakhstan has been called early, so it could possibly be called early, and that should not shock anybody. And of course, um, but, they're not uh, free and fair elections at all. No, I mean, I, it, it, Nazarbayev won the last election with uh, like 97% of the vote, I think. Right. Um, and and there, there weren't, um, there were other candidates who ran, and I'm using big air quotes here, um, who basically all lined up and tried to sound the most supportive of Nazarbayev. So there's not a lot of political debate. I don't really see there being a, a very uh, contested election just because there's not the infrastructure of opposition politics has been just whittled away. Yeah. But it, it's, it, it's, it's virtually non-existent. And so, you know, there are certainly big issues uh, that the Kazakh people probably have opinions about in terms of state policies, but there's no outlet for them to influence who becomes president. Um, one other important 
part is that after Tokayev became uh, interim president, which is the constitutional process, the Kazakh constitution, there's no vice president. So if the president is incapable or steps down, the chairman of the Senate uh, or the speaker of the Senate uh, becomes interim president. And then shocking absolutely no one, uh, Dariga Nazarbayeva was appointed. Uh, she became the new chair, chairman or chairwoman of the Senate. And that's Nazarbayev's eldest daughter, the most politically active. She, she is a senator um, and is now second in line okay. to so, the presidency. So who is, who is Tokayev? Um, can we expect him to to really stick around, or is he effectively a placeholder to make this seem less like a dynastic transition, really, to to Dariga Nazarbayeva? Um, or you know, I, I don't know what your views are, um, or if there's kind of any kind of analyst consensus on on what Tokayev's role is likely to be going forward. Um, I I think there are probably a couple of varying opinions, but Tokayev is by no measure a nobody. Um, he's been chairman of the Senate this time since 2013. Immediately before that, he was uh, the uh, uh, Kazakh ambassador to the United Nations. And before that, he was the Kazakh prime minister. Um, actually, no, he was the chairman of the Senate before that. So he's been chairman of the Senate for two times, uh, 2007 to 2011, 2013 to now. In between those terms as chairman of the Senate, he was the ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, he has served as the prime minister of Kazakhstan before. So this is a man with, with extensive um, international experience. He's not unknown to to the, the diplomatic communities. Um, he also, back in the Soviet days, served in the Soviet embassy in China for a couple of months. Okay. Um, so he he is he is a you know a known quantity. Has a lot of experience. Um, could certainly do this job. Uh, I I would I would suggest that you know. He was put in this position, like Nazarbayev knew who would become president when he resigned because he put that person in that position. Um, so Tokayev is, is definitely a Nazarbayev guy. I don't expect him to do anything terribly surprising. Uh, his first act as interim president was to suggest that they should rename the capital after Nazarbayev. So, um, you know, whether he, I, I don't know, and I haven't quite formed an opinion yet on whether Tokayev will run for the presidency or Dariga will run, or maybe both of them will run. Um, but it's, you know, it's kind of a toss up. He's part of this larger sort of Nazarbayev, um, centered elite. Uh, uh, I would, I would be shocked if he did anything terribly surprising. Um, yeah, I think he's take I think he's taking his cues from Nazarbayev and there's no reason he wouldn't. Well, yeah. And, you know, he clearly respects the personality cult with the suggestion to rename the capital. Um, so what should be made of that? Because, you know, um, we saw we saw some protests um, occur in the wake of this. And Tokayev did have to actually crack down on these protesters over the Nauru's holiday. Um, so, yeah. so how significant uh, is the renaming? And do you see this kind of becoming one of the banner issues of this transition era? I, I, I think there's a there's a couple ways to look at this. Um, uh, so the now officially he. And I think the, the decree was signed on Saturday. It was last Wednesday by the Parliament. Two readings one day, thing is done. Um, to rename the capital Nursal, and you are salted. Uh, I don't know why the hyphen it, there's a hyphen in it. Um, and so now Astana is the capital formerly known as Astana. It's very prince-like in my mind. Um, and I really liked the word Astana, so I'm kind of sad to see it go. Uh, but... Uh, on a more practical side, you know, Kazakhstan has expended a lot of money 
advertising Astana as a destination and building it up. You know, there's billboards, there's an I love Astana sign, there's there's a lot of stuff. And I think today in Kazakh news, they're saying uh, like uh, government officials are saying it's not going to cost anything to change all of this stuff. And it, and it, it is. I mean, reprinting signs cost money. Um, and they've spent a lot of money investing in, in sort of the branding of Astana as a, as a destination. So on the practical end, there's a lot of that. And then if you look at the political angle, um, you know, the residents of Astana woke up on Tuesday and that was the name of their city. And by Wednesday, it was starting to change. And so they had, you know, people had absolutely no say whatsoever in this process. Um, there was a petition going around, an online petition. I, when I looked at it yesterday, it had 45,000 signatures. Um, last week, though, some, some Kazakhs on Twitter that I know were saying that it, the, the URL was blocked. They couldn't access it from Kazakhstan. So who's doing the signing of that? Probably people via VPNs, um, Kazakhs outside of Kazakhstan. Um, but so there, there was absolutely no discussion. I think that fed into um, some protests that occurred over the Nowruz holiday. So Friday in the capital formerly known as Astana. I just can't, I can't call it Nur Sultan yet. It, it just <laughs> seems, it seems weird to talk about Nur Sultan. And like the airport is named Nur Sultan too. So you land in Nur Sultan at Nur Sultan. Um, I mean, but, changes like that take a while, right? In India, people still call uh, Mumbai, Bombay, and Kolkata, yeah, Calcutta, no, and, you know. So. And, no, and nobody calls the Czech Republic Czechia yet. Yeah. So, you know, like, the, we'll, we'll see if it catches on. Um, but but that's, you know, the Kazakh newspapers using that as the dateline now. Um, so that's the name. Right. Um, the protests Friday were sort of a, a I would say, a, a meeting of a bunch of things. So you have the initial surprise and frustration at the changing of the capital's name, um, which feeds into sort of a lack of input people have into the things that their government decides. And then you have on top of that, sort of in the past couple of months, there have been small protests in relation to um, various uh, social issues um, and economics. So you kind of lump on those and then also general frustration about corruption and elite politics. And then you lump into that, the Nowruz holiday, you already have people out celebrating and a um, so Mukhtar Abliezov, who's sort of this opposition figure, he's a fugitive banker, former Nazarbayev um, administration guy, chased out of the country. Um, and he's, there's a whole bunch of drama relating to him. But one of the things that he he did this last year and he did it again this year is he called for supporters. Um, his political party is banned in Kazakhstan, but he called for supporters to come out during Nauru's with blue balloons to show their support. Um, which last year led to uh, these sort of farcical scenes of police snatching balloons from children. Um, and then this year, similar pictures of sort of people with blue balloons and the Kazakh flag is blue. So you could just be holding a blue balloon. Uh, but since he sort of claimed that it is his symbol, there's sort of these pictures uh, of people being sort of carted away in blue balloons floating up into the sky. <laughs> um, and so... And it's hard to gauge exactly what each person in like sort of all of the people being carted away by the police, were they bystanders? Are they Abliezov supporters? Are they mad about the, t the title change? Are they just frustrated? Were they just walking by? So there's a whole, like, it's just messy. Um, and, and, but I think what that underscored um, for a lot of regional watches is that this, like the new Kazakhstan is just like the old Kazakhstan. Like, you know, the, the name of the president has changed, but the policies of the state are not going to. Right. So I think that's actually a really important kind of maybe takeaway from this. And I wanted to ask you, you know, since this is a, geopol a, a geopolitics podcast, 
in the region, um, will this be seen as Nazarbayev effectively succeeding in managing the transition in terms of maintaining stability that, you know, uh, Kazakhstan's neighbors, Kazakhstan's partners on the international stage can basically expect the country to really carry on as it did before because of the way in which all of this was managed? Do you really see any change? I guess, I guess you know, we can maybe use the elections as a splitting point, you know, pre-election with the interim uh, Tokayev era and then whatever might happen after that. What are the things we should look for for potential changes in how Kazakhstan behaves uh, within the Central Asian region and broadly on the world stage? Um, so yeah, I think indicative of what's going to underlie my entire answer is that uh, there were reports that before he resigned, Nazarbayev called Moscow and told them he was going to do it. Um, and so that that points to a little bit of a, a connection because uh, Russia has always taken a bit of a, an, an extra interest in what happens in Central Asia. I wouldn't go so far as a controlling stake, but it certainly is, is curious and would like to be informed. Um, right. And so I, I think I think they were informed. I don't know if the Chinese were informed, for example, but that would not shock me necessarily. Um, but I don't think on the, the grand geopolitical um, stage, Kazakhstan isn't changing. It's it's not going to suddenly, uh, you know, not be uh, a good ally to Russia or, or be a good partner to China. It's not going to overturn how it does things. And I think other regional leaders, um, pro- you know, like, like with, with every single power transition in Central Asia, there has been sort of this moment where we're like, is this going to go badly? Um, and, and with Kyrgyzstan is its own example, but most of them have gone fairly smoothly in the geopolitical sense where the state has mostly maintained the space it had. Um, It does not always go well for the uh, families of the former regime. So in Uzbekistan, the Karamovs are not as prominent as they used to be. Gulnara is back in prison. Um, I think Karamov's wife is fairly well respected, but she doesn't make a big big political deal. Um, And, you know, in Turkmenistan, when their president died in 2006, uh, and, and Bertie Muhammadov became president, he basically dismantled his predecessor's personality cult and replaced it with his own so that the, the name of Niazov is not plastered everywhere anymore. And so I think Nazarbayev watched each of these and then, you know, and, and carefully charted how to best avoid uh, losing the things he'd acquired. Um, and, and certainly right now, I think stability is certainly the direction this is going to go to. I don't, I don't think Kazakhstan's um, behavior on the international stage is going to change. Um, an important piece of this will be in April. I don't know the exact date, but I think mid-April, um, the five Central Asian presidents are supposed to be meeting in Tashkent. Uh, they had this summit last year in the capital formerly known as Astana. And uh, I assume that Tokayev is going to go because he'll be the interim. He is the interim president of Kazakhstan, but I don't know for a fact. I mean, maybe they'll send Nazarbayev, um, but it, that will be interesting because if Nazarbayev doesn't go, it will be one of the first gatherings of all the Central Asian presidents at which uh, suddenly Tajikistan's president, Imam Ali Rahman, is the one who has been in power the longest. Yeah. Um, Na- Nazarbayev was the last um, Soviet era leader. Uh, there are a few others that are close. Rahmon became president in 1994. Um, uh, Lukashenko in Belarus has been around for quite some time. But in the Central Asian region, Nazarbayev is sort of his granddaddy, and, and he's the elder statesman, um, and he's he's retiring. But I don't I, I don't know. Maybe he'll show up. We'll see. I, I, I'm trying to find out who's going, but I haven't been told yet. Yeah, well, we'll see. And, you know, I guess there are the 
I guess the demographic reality is, is that a lot of Kazakhstan, I think half the country is under the age of 30. Uh, they don't know anybody yeah. apart from Nazarbayev as their leader. So uh, I think for for that bit of Kazakhstan, it's going to be a, a new experience. Yeah. Um, and actually, Monday, there was a big uh, Central Asia conference here in D.C. And, and Marlene LaRuel, who's at uh, George Washington, her she, she's doing research, um, well, was, was, had done a bunch of survey research um, in, in Kazakhstan. And has a book coming out, I think, this year called Generation. And one of the things that she says is that 51% of the population was born during the Nazarbayev presidency. Um, and so you have you have half of a country that is essentially under the age of 30, um, has only known Nazarbayev as their leader. And I think there's a wide range of, of opinions on that. Some of them love it. Some of them hate it. Probably most of them are in the middle. And it's just it's just a thing that exists. Right. Um, and so uh, it, it will be interesting to see how that impacts this power transition. I mean, you know, there, there's, there aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of options. I think we'll get a predictable answer. I, I mean, I think we'll get a, somebody from the Nazarbayev camp who runs in an election. And again, I'm having air quotes because I really don't think it's going to be a big, a big democratic election in the way that I think a Westerner would call the democratic election with free press, um, you know, debating of, of issues and which direction the country is going to go go in, because I think the status quo is what Nazarbayev created. And so any argument that the status quo is bad or not good enough, or we should be doing something else, or there are mistakes that have been made, is it's a facto a uh, critique of Nazarbayev, who is still around. Um, in Uzbekistan, they can kind of get away with saying think mistakes were made in the past, but they never like directly criticize Karamov. They just say things were done badly in the past and we're going to do them better now. Uh, but Karamov's dead. Um, Nazarbayev's still around. So it's it's a little bit trickier to try to argue that that the policies uh, of the state are not uh, absolutely perfect. Right. And he's not the president, but he still is leader of the nation. Um... He, he will always be leader of the nation. <laughs> Uh, Katie, thanks a lot for uh, joining me today and breaking down for our listeners uh, what exactly happened in Kazakhstan and what to expect next. My absolute pleasure. Great. And for listeners, as usual, uh, if you like what you heard on the podcast but you haven't yet subscribed, make sure you do that. You can do that on either iTunes, Google Play, or any range of other podcast providers out there. And if you've been a subscriber for a while but you haven't yet left us a review, uh, you can also do that, and we'd be very appreciative. It really helps get the word out about the show. So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back soon with more here on the Asia Geopolitics Podcast.